Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. This is your host, Heather Mulder, and I'm super excited to have you with me here today because we have a special guest. Welcome, Marsha. Thanks so much, Heather. I'm excited to be here with you. So why don't you just briefly tell us uh, who you are and what you do? Yes. Well, I am a a lot of formers, former uh, practicing lawyer, former TV news reporter. Uh, For the last 23 years, I've been working with lawyers at law firms, teaching communication skills. Uh, So my sweet spot is really around uh, the core communication skills, mostly oral that lawyers need, and also business development communication skills. So how to talk about your practice, uh, those kinds of skills that lawyers need. My delivery method for the most part is workshops, although I do some group coaching. Okay, wonderful. So I love that you're, you call yourself former a lot of things. And you are what I, I call myself a recovering attorney. <laughs> so you are also a recovering attorney. Before we get into the presentation skills and all the good stuff that we want to talk about with respect to what you do currently, I would love to get a little bit more background around kind of your story and why you made your switches and, you know, maybe even some of the mindset stuff that came in because we do get a fair share of lawyers that listen to this thinking, do I really want to do this forever? But what else could I possibly do? So it's helpful, I think, to hear other people's stories. Sure thing. And I I love talking about this. Uh, So for me, I started out as a broadcast journalist. I I have an undergrad degree in in broadcast journalism. I wanted to be the next Katie Couric. And so (laughs) I um, graduated from college. My first job was in radio news in the Florida Keys uh, during a crazy time during the Mariel boat lift. A lot was going on. I couldn't get to the next level. And so I ended up uh, going to law school. So I practiced law for five years and Mm -hmm. I was a litigator at a large law firm. I I thought that if I was a litigator, I would get to stand up and talk because I found that, yes, uh, fabulous law firm uh, that I worked for, but that's not how it works. And so after five, six years of that, I thought, you know, I want to go back. I'm going to go back to TV news, which I had done briefly and try to leverage my my law credential to get into bigger markets. And so Mm -hmm. I came up up with the idea that I would um, brand myself as the consumer lawyer reporter because uh, firms had, uh, uh, TV stations had consumer reporters. I figured uh, this made me stand out. And it turned Uh out it was very effective. So I ended up in a really big TV market where I I really had no business being because of that little piece of marketing. So that- Yeah, it was great. It worked well. Um, The thing that drives me, I really enjoy solving problems and I'm very curious. And so uh, working in TV news the second time, 
it served me because I was solving problems. I was getting to still use my legal background and I had a fair amount of autonomy. The trick was though, I aged out. So, you know, once I hit my late thirties, you know, they don't, they don't want to deal with you anymore, partly because, uh, you know, you're not as malleable and they just, they like younger, cheaper people, people on TV. (laughs) And so it became clear to me that the, the thing that, that really drove how happy I was in my work uh, were those two things, autonomy, a chance to use my curiosity and Mm -hmm. my favorite skill, which was public speaking. And so Mm. as a model for people that are thinking about how can I reinvent myself and end up in a better place, not with another job I hate, I suggest you look at your favorite skill that people will pay for and hopefully be able to use it in an industry or an environment where you get to take uh, the benefit of your prior expertise. So for me, I I aimed at lawyers and law firms when I created uh, my workshop business because I wanted to continue getting the benefit of that credibility that I had. But the skill I wanted to use, because it's my favorite thing in the world, is public speaking. And so that was the way, because again, it took me you know decades to get to here, uh, to, uh-huh. to having a business aimed at lawyers who I love to work uh-huh. with, and having the credibility so that it really, there are very few people, very few people with my background who do what I do. So it's easy to market, which is always something uh-huh. to think of if you're starting your own business. Absolutely. So I think there's a couple of good gems in there for people to really hone in on. Number one, and I say this all the time, really pay attention to your skills and strengths because you're more than just a lawyer. Do not just think about it's my lawyer training. There is more to it. And I think you say skills, I actually call them strengths also. They're more than just skills. They're kind of what we naturally are inclined to want to do that we're good at. We all have those. So pay attention to what those are. And if you're thinking, I'm not real happy where I am, figure out how you can utilize those more better, either where you are, somewhere at another firm, going out and you know, starting your own for- firm, or if it's just getting out of law completely and doing something different like the two of us have done. <laughs> so there's lots of ways to do it. Um, and, and if you need help with it, there's lots of people who can help you figure that out. But it, it, I think there's this thing that lawyers get stuck in of, I'm trained to be a specialist, therefore I can only do this. And it's no, no, you can do a lot of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And now's okay, the time. So- Yeah, now is the time. I think there's so many opportunities out there that are coming up for people. And there's a lot of people really rethinking where they are in life based on what's been going on the last two years. And if you're not going to do it now, I'm not sure you're ever going to do it. (laughs) So I would say if you have that inclination, go figure that out for yourself. And I've, I've shared my story before. My change came after cancer. And, you know, that was kind of the big life event that happened for me that made me rethink. And it's funny because I actually wasn't unhappy. It was just that I realized I was entering into a new season based on that. And I think there are probably some people out there too going, well, I wasn't really unhappy, but yet I still have this stirring from within. Listen to that. It, you know, Explore it. Allow yourself to explore it. It doesn't mean you have to go do something immediately, but at least allow yourself to explore it. Because the one thing I do know is – you don't regret looking into those things. You do regret later in life not ever even listening to that because then you always wonder, well, what if? What would have happened if I had? And that that you don't want. So anyway, off on a tangent, we'll, we'll get back on track here. <laughs> 
So, okay. So now you work with lawyers and law firms. You help with their presentation skills. It was probably primarily in-person stuff pre-pandemic, but the last two years have probably changed that quite a bit. Yes? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's funny, you know, Heather, I always thought that that my world had come full circle when I created this business because I was taking communication skills that I really honed on television and bringing that to work with lawyers, which was my other career. Uh, but now, since it's virtual and I'm actually teaching lawyers how to be on camera, it's truly mm-hmm. come full circle. I know. It's so funny, right? And it's it's great that you had that background because you really can leverage that. Like You know it better than probably just about anybody out there. And you know lawyers, which is so helpful. So when it comes to virtual, I think – I don't know why this is. There are definitely some – apprehensiveness, like we get apprehensive about giving presentations and speaking live. That's always there. But then you add the camera in and for whatever reason, we freak out even more. Like it's just harder. And I know I went through this when I started this business and I had to start doing more online stuff. I hated being on camera and I felt so unnatural and awkward and, you know, all of that. I I take it you see a lot of that as well. Yes? Absolutely. With everyone. Okay. Even us us so-called confident lawyers, <laughs> right? Yes. Well, you know, it, it's just unnatural. Um, and, you know, I spent months in broadcast television school learning how to look at a camera as though it were a person. And that's really the oh. answer. Consider that webcam a single friendly person, even a real person, if it helps you. But that's right. really the, the only way to get over that. And then, and then the other issues, of course, are we don't like how we look on camera, which, you know, I can give you specific tips to fix that. It's really (laughs) not hard. One word, lighting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you, I know you think or have said that there are actual advantages to virtual presentations over the in-person. What are those advantages? Why is there an advantage to that? Yes. Uh, There are two reasons. The first one is what I call the talking head effect. So if you think back to your childhood or or even now, as we watch television and other video, we're used to seeing experts, heads of state, presidents, people who know good things framed in a specific way uh, on television Mm. or on YouTube, wherever we're watching the video. And so that framing is the talking head. With talking head framing or looking like a talking head video, you get to borrow that credibility. And you look professional. And so that's the first piece. We simply have credibility and authority if we're properly framed with right lighting and those and those other specific elements. So that's the first thing. The, the second psychological thing, thing really. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then the second thing is uh, that your audience's perception of you, whoever's on the other side of Zoom or the virtual platform, they feel like they're having a one-on-one conversation with you because uh, your video is big. You're looking right at the camera. So they're feeling like you're talking right to them. And so it's easier to connect, to feel connected if you actually already know each other to deepen that connection because of how video works, the way that it allows us to feel connected to each other. Now, of course, that presumes that you're looking at the camera, that you have your camera on, and that you're coming across in a way that's engaging and warm. Oh, interesting. So I hadn't actually thought of it that way, which I love. So it's, it's very psychological. You feel like it's more intimate 
as opposed to when you're in a room with 50 or more people, it, it doesn't feel intimate. You might be in person, but you don't feel intimate because there's all these other people. But there could be 50 people watching, and because you see just that one person looking back at you, it feels more intimate. Yeah? Absolutely. And and I to your that. point, you know, if you're standing on a stage at a, at a large conference, you could be 10 feet away, 100 feet away. So there's a, there's a real distance. There's a real separation between the speaker and the audience. And it's, it's easier for the audience to check out in, in because of that large distance. And so eye contact has a much smaller effect in person uh, than it does on video. Interesting. Okay. I love that. So before we get to your tips for how to seem more warm and engaging and all the lighting and all that, I know everybody's probably thinking, yeah, but we've been so virtual the last few years. People are starting to get back in the office more and more. We're having at least more of a hybrid kind of arrangement. And I can foresee in the future us not really doing virtual hardly at all anymore. Do you agree with that or no? Virtual will never go away. Uh, clients like it too much. Uh, the, the rest of us like it too much. Virtual is here to stay. And so lawyers and other professionals cannot afford to think, oh, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to get any better at this. This is not a skill I need for the long term. It's here to stay. And, and the, the bad news is hybrid communication is 10 times harder to do than <laughs> virtual. So line up. Uh, it's I time to that. get your arms around this. I agree with that because the number of times pre-pandemic that I was asked to speak at firms, and then it started with this, you're just going to be in a room, but then it's like, okay, this office is going to join, and this office, and this office. And, and so then there's a lot to thinking about. I'm presenting to a room of people, but yet there's all these other people that I'm on camera with. And it it's a whole – it's hard. <laughs> That's a lot harder. Um, it is. And the bar and the bar is higher now because we've done a lot of virtual. We mm -hmm. expect it to be seamless. We expect people to be good at it. And so when you add in the uh, element of I'm in person with some people in the room, but other people are joining remotely. And mind mm -hmm. you, some of those people joining remotely may be clients. So think right. of a virtual. Think of a pitch where some of the clients are in the room with you. Some of them yep. are not, or maybe all of the clients are distant, but all of the lawyers are in the room. The last thing you want to do in any of these scenarios is make any member of the distant audience feel like a second-class citizen. You mm. need to do everything you possibly can to give an equivalent experience to everyone in your audience and to go way overboard in making sure the remote audience feels like they're important that you're doing everything you can think of to include them and to hear their voice. Uh, that's the piece uh, that I find most concerning uh, from a presentation standpoint, but also from a inclusion standpoint. Uh, mm -hmm. We cannot afford for any of us to lose our seat at the table because some people are in person and some people are virtual. And I fear you, you know, at a, at a much more important level than, you know, did I communicate well today on this, on this call, uh, that, that notion that we need to make sure that no one's losing a seat at the table because some, some people can attend in person and some people are attending remotely. That's important to note, I think. And I think that's important for all of you out there to really pay attention to and think about as your firms start to do more of this, because I think we are going to be doing a lot more of this kind of hybrid thing. And 
it seems like so simple, right? Like, oh, I'll just schedule it and whoever can be there can be there and whoever can join remotely can join remotely. And that's wonderful. We have all this technology to help us do this. But yet there are there's more layers to that. And you really need to think through how do we make sure we're including everybody and we're hearing everybody and we're, you know, we're 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 putting together something that will feel more like we're all together. Yes. Right. And that and that's the trick. And 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 it gets more complex because in many cases, the things that go wrong with hybrid communication deal with technology. And so uh-huh. as you're in your office or whoever whoever's in a room together, you need to make sure that you understand a couple of key things. One is how do the cameras work? Is the camera going to move when it hears a noise because someone opened their potato chip bag? And now, <laughs> you know, the important speaker is no longer on camera. Instead, we're right. watching someone open potato chips, right? So, you know, where's the camera? Where do you look? How do you deal with noise? Uh, I was, I'm doing a, an ongoing program with a big tech company and they're getting tons of complaints because in some of their offices, there are microphones that sit on the table. So people are typing on their laptops on the table. And then the people who were remote, all they hear is this pounding sound. So oh, no. it's drowning out the speakers. Yeah. It, all sorts of those details. So dealing with noise in the room, stopping people from having side conversations in the room so that people who are remote can't hear and uh-huh. the cameras. Those are those are the key issues to solve. But then the, the next piece is just making sure the people who are remote are being heard. And so right. to use various uh, options that allow for interactivity. So they don't feel like they're just kind of a bystander halfway listening to something that, and they're, they're not really the ones who are meant for this meeting. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So why don't we get into some of your top tips for virtual presentations? How sure. do you help people? What, what do you, or and actually, before we get into top tips, what do what are the things people struggle most with that that are simple fixes? Yes. So virtually, I, I think of it as two buckets uh, and really thinking about delivery. So virtual delivery, just as you think of standing in front of a, of a, of a big room at a conference, same Ill elements come into place. Eye contact, energy level, gestures, posture, all of those things that we've all learned in you know public speaking class, mm-hmm. they come up in virtual but the weight is different. And so on a virtual communication, the most important elements of delivery are, you guessed it already, number one, eye contact. You've got to look at the camera. Uh, The second thing is really energy level. So in person, the the way we we project energy pretty much is with our body, our posture, our gestures, you know, our stance. Think of being on a big stage in front of hundreds of people just standing there with a with a with a strong posture and and being silent you get attention you show authority and confidence uh-huh. virtually it's not so much about posture of course we need to sit up straight it really is about the voice we project energy we connect with our audience through our voice so think how you do that over the phone if you're good uh-huh. on the phone the things that you do to be good on the phone are the things that you want to do in a virtual presentation. So notice the difference. Uh, if we stand in front of a big room, we're more formal because it's a, it's a more formal scenario. Our word choice, all the things we do with our voice and our posture are going to be a little more formal. Whereas the virtual communication scenario is automatically less formal, more conversational, 
more warm. And Mm. so we got to make sure that we make that switch. Otherwise, even though it's a, a formal virtual presentation, people are put off because we're used to having what feels like more of a one-on-one conversation uh, with conversational tone and all of that. Right. And so you can really push your audience away from you if you're overly formal in a virtual communication. So make it more conversational feeling, even if you're just presenting, yes. as opposed to, I feel like when we're in person, it's almost a little more exaggerated um, in how we, our body movements, right? And how, you know, almost like you're on, it, well, when you're on stage, it's definitely, I think, more exaggerated. Everything is. But even if you're in a room with just 20, 25 people, tend, you tend to be a little more exaggerated when you're speaking to people and presenting in person. And it's fine. It goes off fine. Doing that on camera, not quite the same. <laughs> it would be a little yeah. weird, right? Yeah. It would just look off. And so people, yeah, more conversational, I think, is a good way to think of it. Yeah. And so for me, that's that's really the key because um, I like to come come at it. I, yes, I, you know, I always have lots of separate tips, but I always like to give you, you know, a, a way to think of it. And it really is that notion of you're talking to one person. Imagine there's one person on the other side of the camera that you're speaking to. Now, if it's a pitch, we're still being conversational. We're not being casual. That's the distinction. Conversational yes. and casual are two very different things. And so yes, for me, are. that's the fix. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think sometimes lawyers, we tend to think, well, it's not professional if we're not, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, you can be professional and conversational. It isn't the same thing. And I think it's really important to differentiate between casual versus conversational. So I, I like that you said that. Um. What are other kind of mistakes or, I guess, tips that you could give people for looking and sounding better while they're in a virtual presentation? Yes. So so the other elements to think about, we've talked about eye contact and connecting by using your energy and your voice. The other things to think of have to do with looking like a talking head video. And so the most important thing about video is actually audio. And so you want to make sure that you have decent audio quality. And that you're, you're avoiding background noise. And so a headset is a great option because it keeps you from being distracted by background noise and it makes sure your audience can't hear the background noise. Uh, The next piece is really uh, having good lighting. And so the lighting matters because your audience needs to be able to read your expression. And Uh so we have to make sure that we're not backlit. Backlit means there's light behind you that's brighter than the light that's on your face. Uh, The other thing I would say is many of us look at video and we think we don't look good. We look tired, (laughs) we look old. What's going on is you're probably sitting under an overhead light. And so overhead light shines shines down your face and creates shadows. So turn off the overhead light or just move to one side, get a light on your face. You will love the way you look when you make those simple changes. And then that, yeah. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful well, thing. Well, and just I've the simplest thing I found is I have a light just in front of me to the left a little bit. And the difference in turning that light on versus having it off is so huge when I'm on camera. It's not even funny. So simple, simple things. Very, very simple things. And then the next important thing from a visual perspective is that you must be framed properly. And mm-hmm. simply put, you're 
camera has to be at eye level. Most of us have cameras that are way too low because we have a laptop sitting on a desk and it's basically shooting up our nose. Uh, Or we have a a webcam that's on top of a really tall monitor. So it's shooting down on us, which makes us look really tiny and unimportant. (laughs) And so get the camera at eye level. And I guess the, the the only other piece I'd mention is if you wear glasses, you need to make sure that there is not a reflection in your glasses such that people cannot see your eyes. Again, Mm. we want to read each other's expression. People want to see our eyes because they're deciding whether they can trust us, whether uh, we're credible. Right. Yeah. That's actually why when I do online stuff where my video, like right now I'm wearing glasses. Um, because it's just easier. And there is a glare. I know there's a glare. <laughs> but when I'm doing online presentations where the video is going to you know, be out there, I take my glasses off. I don't have them on because it's really hard for me to get rid of the glare with the setup that I currently have. So you do have to unfortunately think of those things. One question, what about background? Because I'm always cognizant when I'm doing these things, especially since you guys are going to find this out. I, I I don't think I've ever said this before, but my office is in my bedroom because both my husband and I work from home and my husband kind of had the office to begin with. So I had to find my own space and the best space that worked for me happens to be in my bedroom. Not very professional looking, (laughs) right? And so when I'm on camera, I have to set things up in a little bit different way so that people can't tell that's where I am. So do you have any tips for background or does it even matter? It, it matters. Uh, the most important thing is to, is to have a background that's not cluttered or distracting. And so for many people, the best solution, if you happen to be on Zoom, is to use the function called blur my background. Yeah. For most of us, that works pretty well. Uh, if, you're, if you don't have much light, it may be a problem. You, you want to check and see if you move from side to side or, or you move, for, move forward and back. You want to make sure that your ears or your headset uh, are not disappearing. Uh, that's a challenge with with these fake backgrounds, but blur my background tends to work better than an actual virtual background. Those are very challenging uh, to get them to work effectively. So that's one choice, blur my background. The other one, if you're willing to try to set something up or change things a bit to make it work better is to simply have it be plain. Um, So Mm. my background, I have a blue painting behind me and a couple of things. This is real. I took it out of my living room and brought it down to my basement studio in my house. So Mm -hmm. that it's, it's, it looks kind of like a house, but it's simple. There are not a lot of things to look at, but having a bit of color behind you is nice if you can. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I would just say, keep it simple. I mean, you don't have to go overboard. And if I would recommend, I mean, a lot of lawyers are like, well, wait a second, I'm very limited on where I can be for these types of things. And if I'm doing this from home, I'm even more limited. My top tips would be to take what you say about audio the most, like make sure your audio is going to work first and foremost. And secondly, if you can't figure out anything else, use blur your background (laughs) and just try not to move as much. Um, If the lighting is good and you don't move around as much, you don't lose things so much. It's when you start moving a lot that I've noticed you do tend to lose some things from time to time. So yes. And, And worst case scenario, if you're still having problems, you can put a light behind your back that shines on the wall behind you. So you you may need to light your wall. So not light in front of you, light actually behind your back. Because if you can light your wall evenly, then the blur my background will work. Oh, awesome. Okay, that's good to know. Even the virtual background. If you're forced to use a virtual background, 
light, light the wall behind you. So you can get, you know, like a, a work lamp and actually clip it to the back of your chair and then bend it down so that the light, uh, the light itself is hidden by your back, but it shines mm-hmm. on the wall from behind you. That'll solve Wonderful. the whole problem. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, great. So any other tips before we move on to in-person on virtual? Really, the, the main takeaway for me uh, that I love to give people is it matters for you to get this right. Uh, so right now, everything is changing. Laws changing. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of reshuffling. Uh, you may be at a smaller firm or a solo a practitioner, and you always thought you couldn't own a particular niche because some big, some person at some big firm, which a lot of staff with a lot of staff has taken it. Mm-hmm. With disruption comes opportunity. If you're if you're good at connecting and getting out there with confidence and authority virtually, you can you can take you can take a niche away. I'm convinced now's the time to go for it because there's so much disruption. You can rise. Awesome. Yeah, no, I would agree too. And I can tell people out there, I've seen this firsthand, like my mastermind last year had somebody who had just started his solo practice and it grew way more than he ever could have imagined last year uh, in ways that he didn't even anticipate. And so it's definitely there for anybody, what, regardless whether you're in a big, small, medium-sized firm. You just got to put in the work to go get it, <laughs> you know? So yes. do it. And realize, okay. you know, you know, with video, you're in, you know, you're in your bedroom, I'm in my basement. You can look just as professional as someone that has a huge firm and and yep. all sorts of resources behind them. Absolutely. You and it's not hard. It really isn't that hard. So just invest a little bit of thought and then, you know, put a little time, it's not a lot into figuring these things out for yourself and then just go do it. And hire Marsha if you need actual help with putting, you know. <laughs> Because she's out there to help people with this. So, okay. So we've talked about virtual. We've talked a little bit about hybrid. But what about in-person? Because people are still doing in-person. What are some of your top tips and even big mistakes that people make? Well, my top tips are uh, to practice. Uh, this makes such a difference. Uh, it's easier to practice virtually because you can just turn on turn on Zoom and record it on your own computer and then watch it. But in person as well, uh, you know, realize your phone is a camera. Uh, so we have no excuse for not videotaping ourselves or at least audio taping ourselves as mm-hmm. we practice any important communication or presentation. Uh, and that includes, you know, standing up. So when you practice, if it's a standing up presentation, stand up. If it's a sitting at the end of the conference room, practice there uh, because it it makes a difference. You create um, a muscle memory by practicing in the same format as you will be delivering. And then yep. beyond that, uh, same same elements matter. Uh, in person, I, I think there's should be more of a focus on avoiding distracting motions. Uh, when we stand up in particular, a lot of the time I spend working with people uh, because I videotape everyone that I work with in person or virtually. And so you can see and hear how you're coming across. And the, the stuff I spend the most time on helping people stop doing have to do with distracting gestures or distracting things they do with the lower half of their body. So whether they're shifting from foot to foot, shifting really? from hip to hip. Yes. And, and folks who do that are, have no awareness at all whatsoever that they're doing it. The virtual version or the seated version is people who swing around back and forth in the chair when they get <laughs> nervous. 
Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, no awareness. No awareness that they do it. Interesting. So if you move around a lot uh, when you're speaking and you don't realize it, how do you how do you stop? Like what are there any tips or tricks to quitting that and noticing when you are so that you can stop? Well, the first piece is knowing that knowing that you are, which is why if you uh-huh. videotape yourself or practice in front of a live person, if you're willing uh-huh. to do that, they will tell you. Uh, you know, right. you're shifting back and forth. It, it's really it's, it's really distracting or annoying. And so the first thing is awareness. You have to know you're doing it. The second thing is really to imagine yourself and feel yourself completely still. And so I like to use a visual of being stuck in a barrel of concrete that goes from your lower ribs through the ground. So you are completely solid from the ribs down and completely fluid from the ribs up. And so imagine visualizing it, feeling it for just a moment before you start speaking and then forgetting about it and focusing on what you're saying often really does help people remain solid. And the benefit there is when you are very still from the waist down, but you gesture, you make eye contact, you connect with the audience, their perception of you is that you have great authority and you're very solid. And those yeah. those are the, the impressions we want people to have. So and you're still this- moving, right? The top sure. of your body does move. It's not stiff but you're not doing so much that it's distracting. Exactly. Your bottom, the bottom half of your body is still. Now, I don't mean that you can't use the room. You can, right. but you, you, you stick in one place, you present, you get through a point or something, and then you can move to another place in the room, mm-hmm. stick there, and then speak another piece. We never want to see people roaming or wandering or pacing back and forth. It's extremely distracting, annoying, and it has you come across as not being settled, not being focused. Right. And in okay. some cases, it can be perceived as uh, you being, you know, particularly full of yourself, right? The people that just oh, paint interesting. back and forth and back and forth. It's right. It's distracting. I could see how if you were pacing, <laughs> trying to give a presentation, that would not come off as very authoritative to me, at least. And and for many people, it's it's just visually distracting, and so they stop watching. Yeah, and they start they start to tune you out completely, right? Yes, which you don't want, obviously, for for many reasons. And so the second piece, so we talked about that. The the, the uh-huh. other piece of delivery that you we talked about in virtual voice is very important. Uh-huh. Uh, in in person, voice is also very important. It, it's harder to get people to feel connected to you because they may be physically far away. We Uh still want to include the elements that communicate authority and expertise with our voice. And so that includes word choice. It includes your pace, not speaking too quickly, slowing Uh down on key elements that we're speaking about, pausing, which pause is my my go-to to solve a lot of vocal and and speech issues. Pausing uh, allows us to set something we said apart. It allows us simply to project authority. People that are nervous tend to talk really fast and never pause. It helps Mm -hmm. us get rid of vocal fillers and it allows us to emphasize uh, certain words off from other words. Very nice. Yeah, no, I love the pause when speaking. And I got to say, I think I learned to do it a lot 
better and more through my coaching because it's also a wonderful way to coach <laughs> is you you ask a question and you pause and you let people kind of take it in and you allow the pause to happen for a bit. So one thing I've noticed is when when speaking, you feel like the pause is going on forever and it, it really isn't oftentimes. Like five seconds can feel like 30, <laughs> 10 seconds can feel like a minute. Um, so go a little longer than you think you should, because it's probably not nearly as long as you believe it is. Yes. I always say pause until it hurts. I like that. So we've been through quite a few mistakes. Is there a number one biggest mistake that you see a lot of lawyers making? Yes. And it's actually the reason I started this business, uh, 23 years ago. Lawyers often miss their audience. They don't understand who their audience is. And they don't consider what their audience is most interested in as they're preparing what it is they're going to present. So all the way from choosing a topic of a presentation to in the moment as they're communicating, as they're interacting in communications that are more back and forth, they miss their audience. And so we see this in a couple of different ways. Uh, I, the, the way the answer is to really think about what is the impact on my audience of this topic. So if I'm choosing a topic to ask myself, what can I speak to right now for a particular audience that will have the most impact on them? Because uh -huh. telling your audience how an issue impacts them is the number one way to get and keep their attention. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Every communication, this is how it works. So to start a presentation with, uh, we're talking today about the such and such issue. The reason this matters for you in the in the industry in the uh, oil and gas industry in Texas right now is this pause mm. tell them the impact right so you've got to know who your audience is to pick the right topic and then right. you need to articulate as soon as possible here's why this legal issue matters to you here's why this whatever is important here's the impact on your company your industry your region, uh, you, you know, and the next right. three months, ideally, and in, in the short time frame. And I would say there's a couple of things that go into that. One is don't assume they know. I think a lot of times we think they understand these things when they don't. Two, also think about where your audience actually is in the moment. Like meet them where they are. I think lawyers sometimes mistakenly believe, well, this is what they need ultimately to get to. Like they need to be at point Z, but they're at point A. You cannot get them from point A to point Z in one talk. So where, where are they now and what is that next step they really need to make and start there? Don't go, because when you try to get them too far, you lose them. It's just too much. It's too much information. And they'll totally, like, they'll they'll zone out. It, they won't listen. <laughs> yes. And they won't understand the importance because you're not meeting them where they are right now. They just need to solve their one specific thing that's going on in this moment or, you know, deal with the things they see themselves struggling with. And a lot of times what they struggle with are these top issues but if you help them get below that, then you can expose the bigger issue and meet them there. That's one thing I would say, because I see that a lot in my clients. Um, and you see that a lot just in my industry, too, where people, you know, are trying to, to speak to people in these terms that just don't, 
don't matter to them yet because they don't even realize that's the issue. <laughs> yes. And, you know? and that's, and that's the other piece. One is, you know, knowing your audience to get and keep their attention. Uh, the other element is really what words are you using? What terms are oh. you using and how much detail are you dumping on them? So, so from a content perspective, audience is still key, but the thing that lawyers really, really, really need to learn daily, hourly is that we have to, to buy people's attention by, by making our key point, you know, here's the answer and then give a few well-chosen details, right? Because audiences cannot follow. And even if they can, they're not interested in hearing a lot of detail when they don't know where you're going with it. So basically right. you can buy their attention by starting with your point, giving them the takeaway, giving them just a few details or a few steps because they already know where you're going with it. They understand what the point is. They're willing to listen. But uh -huh. the second piece, of course, is lawyers need to communicate a lot less complexity and a lot less detail. People just yes. aren't interested. They don't want to know all of that. Uh, and again, knowing your audience, there may be exceptions. If you're communicating with a right. general counsel who used to be a lawyer just like you, they may love the inside stuff. But in the most case, most cases, even though they can understand it, they don't want to hear it. You know, we're business people, our audiences, yeah. and many times our business our people. business, yes. And I would say this, look, if you are out there ultimately giving a speech or presenting on something and you're hoping that it will generate business in the future, right, that it will kind of start a conversation, it's your starting point. It's not your ending point. The whole purpose for it is to meet them where they are so that it intrigues them enough to keep keep the relationship going. Because ultimately, you can't solve their problems by giving them a speech. They need to hire you or somebody else. And so your job is only to kind of expose that in that moment and not worry about solving everything for them. You don't have to. That's why they need to hire an actual lawyer to do that for them. <laughs> so. Yes. And, and realize, you know, we know, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure you teach this uh, to all of your clients, we know that clients want to hire lawyers that don't make them listen to all that detail. They want people who are interesting and solve the problem without making it painful. And so you need to demonstrate that in your speeches and other communications with prospective clients. You need to yeah. make sure they get, you know, they're saying, if you're like this in the speech, you're going to be like this when I hire you. And guess what? You're boring me. So I don't want to work with you. You're making me listen to all the little details. I don't want to know. Just solve my right. problem. Yeah, they just want to know that you've solved it. All right. Well, this has been wonderful. Any last words of wisdom before we uh, sign off here? I would say that it sounds like a lot. We've talked a lot about a lot of details, but but a couple of things really make a big difference. As I mentioned, the number one thing we all need to always be thinking about is who is our audience? What do they care about? Uh, what? How much detail do they want? How does the issue I'm speaking about impact them? How can I make their lives better? Uh, that's the first thing. And then the second one is just, you know, find ways to engage, whether it's virtual or in person or hybrid. You want to connect with people. You want to, to, to be warm, to be conversational, and to focus in on what they care about. Uh, mm -hmm. Those two things working in conjunction will get you where it is that you want to go. Awesome. Well, how, where can people find you? Yes. Uh, well, the easiest way to find me is to go to my website. It's marsha.com. So M-A-R-S-H-A.com, my first name. Um, awesome. And then the other thing is, um, and I'm sure you'll put this in the show notes, mm -hmm. I have a thought leadership map 
that I created for lawyers. And it walks through uh, these top steps that we talked about today in a kind of a high level way. And you can get that by going to thoughtleadershipmap.com. And I will definitely have a link to that in the show notes so that everybody can get their hands on it. Well, thank you so much. This was so helpful. I know that the audience is going to get a lot out of this one. Thank you, Heather. It was a lot of fun. All right. So I hope that you enjoyed my interview with Marsha. I know that I did. There were so many great tips that she shared. One thing that I will note here is regardless of whether you are in private practice or in-house, I think that speaking is incredibly important. It is a really important skill. So take the tidbits that work for you and that match to what you do and could be doing and utilize them to your benefit. There are so many strategies and tips that she gave you today that will help you in virtual presentations, that will help you in making pitches to clients, that will help you even on the phone with clients. Before I go, I do want to mention that if you have not yet downloaded the Client Development Blueprint and you are a lawyer in private practice who is looking to grow your business, I highly recommend that you grab it. I will have it in the show notes. There will be a link down below as well. The blueprint gives you five proven steps that I used and that I teach to my clients, so I know that these work, that will help you increase your originations to a million and beyond without growing your stress or overwhelm levels. Okay, that is it for today. We will be talking next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life & Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both Life & Law, including the Life & Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.